0: So today, uh, we finally bring this book of Hebrews in for a landing. We'll, we'll close it up, and uh, it'll be a good, a good study, I'm sure. So let's pick it up at verse 18, and uh, we'll see what the Lord has for us. It says, pray for us. Verse 18, Hebrews 13:18. Pray for us. For we are confident that we have a good conscience in all things desiring to live honorably. But I especially urge you to do this, that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, equip you with every good thing to do his will working in us what is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever, amen. And I appeal to you, brethren, bear with the word of exhortation, for I've written to you in a few words. Know that our brother Timothy has been set free, with whom I shall see you if he comes shortly. Greet all your leaders and all the saints, those from Italy greet you. Grace be with you all, amen. Um, Just a quick reminder that the theme of the book of Hebrews is about the ministry and the majesty of Jesus Christ and particularly his ministry as a high priest and dying for our sin and reconciling us to God. That's the theme of Hebrews. The purpose for that theme is to anchor the believers in their faith, right? Because the author famously acknowledged that some of them were drifting away And he says, I just want to set an anchor for you in your faith, right? They were experiencing persecution. Uh, They had lost some of their properties because they'd been confiscated by evil people that didn't like Christianity. Uh, They had fled for their lives and they're now living. We don't know exactly where the recipients of this letter are living, but that's their situation. Life's been very challenging because of identifying as a Christian. And so in response to that, the, the pressure wasn't ever relenting. And so in response to that, they were starting to drift away from just good biblical Christianity and go back into the Old Testament sort of belief because they were Jewish in their origin, ethnically Jew, but Christian. And so as a result, they were drifting back to some of their older ways, which was less threatening. More acceptable in the Roman Empire at that time. And so the author is aware of that and he writes. Um, so that's what everything has been about, and up chapters 1 through 12. Chapter 13 is real practical. He gets into some Christian ethics and then he talks about our relationship with the Word of God and with leaders within the church. And here in verses 18 through the end, it's the first time in all this lengthy epistle that he really talks about himself. And uh, he, I see three things, four things here where he says, pray for me. And then uh, in verse 20 and 21, he says, I'm praying for you. Okay? And then he says in verse 22, he, uh, he exhorts and he encourages them to, Bear with his word of exhortation, believing that the exhortation that he's referring to is the letter that he's written. Okay? So pray for me. I'm praying for you. Continue in this word of exhortation. And then verses 23, 24, just a couple little details. Timothy was a known entity to this church. Uh, It's really tempting to go... Well, that tells us Paul might have been the one who wrote this, right? Because Timothy was his dear son and brother in the, brother and son in the faith. Um, and then greetings, and he closes with grace, be with you all, amen. So today's message is, I guess I would say, personal thoughts, kind of what this is gonna be. It's a personal thoughts from this friend and brother in Christ who's written and uh, i'll just tell you up front that i think the application for us uh, application for us it's a it's a good lesson in christian friendship it's a good lesson in friendship but particularly christian friendship Uh, and so let's just break it down a little bit um, and let's pray lord uh, thank you for the worship and just pray you'd continue to pour out your grace on our fellowship. We just uh, need a fresh filling of your spirit, Lord, that you would be glorified. Just control my heart and mind, Lord, to you and use me to glorify you and to touch our lives and to love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So the author says, pray for us. Pray for us. Well, uh, he says, for we are confident that we have a good conscience. Um, I think what he's saying there is that uh, he's finished the work that God has called him to. And he knows that he's done it well. Um, I'll use Paul as an example because he said something very similar when he wrote to the Corinthians. So listen to this and I think you'll bear witness that it sounds very similar. Paul said, our conscience testifies that we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially in our relations with you with integrity and godly sincerity. We have done so relying not on worldly wisdom but on God's grace. So the author is saying, he's telling us, these are his personal thoughts, right? He's being very, very friendly with his uh, people that he knows. Uh, longing to see them, right? He's praying that uh, we are confident, he says, we, we've, we have a good conscience. Uh, all things, we want to live honorably in all things. Uh, he's saying as God has equipped us and we've been faithful in what he's called us to do. Uh, and we can stand before him and men and look them in the eye and say, I've done what God asked me to do, right? And that's a good, clear conscience. I hope you have a clear conscience, right? Um, and you could expand that thought out, of course, into just uh, getting sin out of your life. You know, sometimes we have stuff that we tolerate that shouldn't be there. Stuff that's just like everyday little th- sins and Disobediences and bad attitudes that we just sort of like, honestly, and so we tolerate them. In fact, we invite them and, and, and you know invest time in these thoughts and terrible things, and they weaken us. and It it helps. It causes me then not to look others in the eye, and you know I not seeing that so much. Truthfully, so you must be living a good life, brothers and sisters. Because I look at so many of you brothers in the eye and it's like, how you doing? Good, look me right square back in the eye, right? And I can do the same. Had a nice experience this week where the Lord's like, you need to repent, son. You got some stuff. You're just like doing this. I'm like, oh, Lord, I'm so sorry, right? Repentance, right? Turn away, acknowledge it, come back to God in faith. Clear conscience. Oh, my goodness, it's so freeing. It is so freeing. And it's like, once you get back into that place of, of freedom and worship of God with a clear conscience, it's like, why did, I, why did I even bother just vegging out and streaming stupid stuff that's unedifying and actually corrupting? But that's not so much what I wanna talk about. This man who wrote the book of Hebrews is sheer genius. He is a biblical scholar. And yet he says, pray for us. That, my brothers and sisters, is a humble man. He is confident, but he's not independent. He, is, he, has, been, he has written and he has lived and he has been faithful to God, and, but he's not, he has not come into a place of, I don't need prayer. He, he's a humble man. Humility is such a, a great Christian virtue, right? And he's honest enough to say, I need prayer. I've been faithful, but I still need your prayer. I covet your prayers. And so this giant, really, of a man in the faith is, who's exhorted his brothers and sisters who are weaker in the faith, he's saying to them, pray for me. I need prayer. Paul constantly asked for prayer. When you read his epistles, I think to the Romans, to the Corinthians, to the Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, the Thessalonians, to Philemon, he's always asking for prayer. It's, it's the apostle Paul. Who laid the foundation of the church in fact in his great writings in ephesians 6 when he gets into that whole uh, subject of spiritual warfare right and he talks about putting on the armor of god and then he closes that that little section with pray and he says this praying at all times with all perseverance for all the saints and for me i need prayer why? So that I can boldly proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in bonds. Paul's in prison. He ain't giving up. He was like, I got guards shackled to me. And these are, these are men who live in paganism, in naturalism, in all kinds of isms. And to, their, to my to God's advantage, they're bound to me. <laughs> so they got to listen to me. <laughs> you know, Paul would tell us in Philippians, the gospel spread right within Caesar's palace because of these guards that came out born again. They'd go down and they hang out with Paul. They'd, they'd convert. They'd give their lives to Christ. And then they'd tell others. And then they're like, hey, I want to go visit Paul. <laughs> right? Humility. Jesus asked for prayer. The Son of God asked for prayer. He went into the Garden of Gethsemane, the most trying moment in his entire life. That's where the war was fought, right there. And he went and he said, Pray. I'm going to go a little farther. You, James, John, Peter, you guys stay here and pray. He came back. They were sleeping. I can relate. He said, Could you not watch with me for one hour? I needed your prayer, brothers. Now granted, it's one, two o'clock in the morning. I know for you students, that's not a big deal. But for us old people, that's a big deal, (laughs) right? Please, And I'll just tell you, pray for us. I'm asking you to pray for Joni and I because uh, I'm told that the church where we will be visiting meets at about 10 o'clock. That's when they start. And they often go through the night so you know 10 o'clock i'm ready to go to bed (laughs) so pray for us seriously the apostles asked for prayer humility in the book of acts after they were filled with the holy spirit the apostles spoke in tongues they healed people they They did all sorts. God was pleased to use these ordinary men in such a profound, supernatural, unexplainable way, except it's got to be God. There is no scientific solution for what we just saw. And these men, God raised up thousands of people, are now looking to them for leadership and guidance. And Peter, as a result, and John, they got arrested because it was in Jerusalem and they tried to gag him. Don't you ever preach Jesus in this city again. And they threatened him and these men had the wherewithal to do it. They had just murdered Jesus. They certainly had the political connections and the resources to do it to Peter. And in spite of the fact that he was filled with the Holy Spirit continuously and he was preaching and and ministering and doing so many great things he came back to the disciples it says when they were released they went to their friends and they lifted their voices together to god lord look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant jesus and when they had prayed the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. Oh my goodness. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. In spite of all the success and the confidence that was growing in God, they weren't independent of God. And they said, we need prayer. Pray for us. Good friends ask for prayer. Good friends are humble and say, I need help all the time. Pray for each other. They were humble. For this man to say that, I think you can also say that he was not only humble, he was vulnerable, don't you think? He, he was expressing, and I know there's some overlap in the thought there, but I think it's also saying, Uh, Yeah, I'm confident, but I also know that within me, there's a monster that loves self and hates conflict. And I'm not sure I can keep going. And so there's some vulnerability also with humility. And he's willing to say, pray for us. You know, something that I came across this week that I want to share with you, uh, another man who was a giant of a man. His name was Charles Spurgeon. Uh, He lived in England during the Victorian era. It was the heyday of the British Empire. And Charles Spurgeon Spurgeon was the most well-known, influential, famous preacher in all of the British Empire. Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He was just this, this giant of a spiritual leader and preacher and pastor. In 1871, he was set aside for three months due to mental health issues. And so he wrote a brief note to his church while suffering in depression. And I'm just reading, I'm just gonna read this little brief note that he wrote back to his church while he's in depression back home. And I'm doing it because it's just such a beautiful example of vulnerability. The most powerful and well-known preacher in the British Empire, for heaven's sakes. And this is what he said. Dear friends, the furnace still blows around me. Since I last preached to you, I have been brought very low. My spirit has been prostrate with depression. I entreat you not to cease your supplications. I am as a potter's vessel when it is utterly broken, useless, and laid aside. Nights of watching, days of weeping have been mine, but I hope the cloud is passing. In this relative trial, a very keen one, I again ask your prayers. So praise your suffering pastor, Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Friends are vulnerable and friends are humble because we need God. Nobody's exempt from that. And so regardless of your place in life, you ask good friends, pray for one another. There's humility, there's vulnerability, but you know, there's also a touch of wisdom in this man asking those people to pray for him. To make a strong appeal of their tr- of the, uh, uh, to them in their trial in a very difficult challenge, to make a strong appeal to these people who are just looking for the next meal, day-to-day life. And he's like, Pray for me, can you imagine? It's like, dude, you need to pray for me. But I think there's a touch of wisdom in there, don't you? I thought of it this way, it's, it's sort of like saying, saying to an endurance runner who, who sits down briefly uh, to rest after 47 miles of a grueling uphill race and you come alongside and you say, hey, could you lend me a hand? <laughs> right, it it's, it's like, seems insensitive, does it not? And you might go, well, you're asking me? Now to put ourselves back in the context, the author is asking people who are suffering. And they might go, wait a minute, you're asking me to pray for you? You know our situation. We're struggling in life right now. I'm weak and fearful and full of doubts about the faith. And you're asking for my help? Yep, I am. And you see the wisdom in that? Because by virtue of of knowing who this man is, like a Spurgeon-esque type of guy, and them to come and say, him to come and say, please pray for me. The humility and the vulnerability, they're like, okay, sure. I'll pray for you. What wisdom? What wisdom? Because now what? Their eyes are off their self. That's a black hole. You get down in that thing where even in your suffering, it's just a it's an endless pit. And sometimes the easiest thing is just to think about God and to pray for others. And you come out of the pit and you're just now there's that's better. Thank you, Lord. So that's what he does. He says, pray for us. Verses 20 and 21, he talks about his prayer for them. And I'm going to reserve those two verses for taking communion this morning. So I'll do that at the end, if you don't mind, uh, since we are doing communions, first Sunday of the month. And uh, we'll just examine those in preparing our hearts for taking communion. So bear with me. We'll just jump over to the next thing that... uh, friends do christian friends they encourage they exhort he says i appeal to you brethren bear with the word of exhortation for i've written to you in few words my goodness sir you call that a few words <laughs> that's like that's like 13 chapters of prime rib <laughs> i'm still chewing on it <laughs> right It's was like oh okay it was like yeah i just gave you a little snack You know, a little happy meal. (laughs) No, but I believe that's what he's referring to. He's saying, bear with it. Uh, Bear with the word of exhortation. Uh, Bear means to listen. In context, it means to keep listening, keep hearing these words. You know, the, the Bible was still being written. So when this letter shows up, they have in their hands for the first time, an autographed copy of the book of Hebrews. And it arrives in this little church, and he's like, why don't you guys just study this like for a long time until maybe you get a letter from Paul or something, I don't know, right? So you keep listening to it. You keep enduring the things that are said in this letter. And the reason I'm saying that is because Paul said that the days will come when men will not endure sound doctrine. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. And given the circumstances, they're like, "Wow, well, let's go get some really feel-good thing and just feel good about ourselves. And this rother is like, you need to endure with this. You need to bear up, bear up with it. Bear with what? The word of exhortation. Now I want to carry on about that for just a moment. Exhortation. Friends, exhort one another. Okay? Exhort means to inspire, to urge on, to persuade, to stimulate. We all need this as we run the race of the Christian faith. Christian exhortation is very different from the coach or the fans who stand on the side cheering the marathon runners, right? You've all been there. I've been to the track meets, cheering on my grandkids, doing the cross country thing, right? And you know, I mean your heart is like just pumping out of your chest because it's your grandkids. (laughs) And then as they come by, you're like screaming your head off. It's like (laughs) crazy. Well, that's not so much, but regardless. But what what do we say? Y'all know what I mean. What are we saying to the, to the runner? Come on, man, you can do it. Dig deep, grind it out, attack the hill, right? Whatever, you've got it, you're almost there. That's not Christian exhortation, why? The difference is that for the runner, the strength, it's calling out strength from within. Right? You're calling out strength from within. It's, it's, it's sheer determination and you're just encouraging, you're, you're urging and imploring and, and persuading and inspiring the runner, the Christian, to dig within, draw up just sheer guts and go for it in spite of the pain. That's not Christian exhortation. Oh, but the way I think of that is the branch sucks the life out of the vine. Literally, that's what a branch does. It it, it draws from the vine everything that is necessary to continue to live. And that's why Jesus gave us his Holy Spirit. I'm going away, but my Spirit will come, and you will live and continually live. Living in the Spirit is nothing less than the life of Jesus being conferred into our lives. And so when life is hard, man, it's life, life is hard. And the Lord and the author is exhorting, he's encouraging us, go to God. The other thing he does, Hebrews 10, 24, is he says, cheer each other on. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, right? So I draw comfort and strength and encouragement to live obediently for God repenting of my sin, keeping the conscience clear, and then walking obediently with God. And that by virtue of that happening, you and I become an encouragement to one another. It just happens. When we come into fellowship, there's a a certain amount of just humble confidence that resides in us. And we are able to then to comfort others with the comfort you've received and the strength that we've received. The third thing the author does is he tells us to read biographies. That's the book, that's Hebrews 11. As he goes through this whole, I'd asked Oz to put a book up here that I'm recommending to you. Uh, Warren Wiersbe wrote this book. It's called 50 People Every Christian Should Know. Learning from spiritual giants of the faith. Y'all ever heard of Amy Carmichael? Yeah. If you haven't, you need to learn about Amy Carmichael. An amazing woman of faith. Let's see, who else is in here? Catherine Von Bora, Martin Luther's wife. Amazing woman of faith. Who else? Andrew Boenar, Robert Murray McShane, Hudson Taylor. Man missionary to China, years ago. On and on those are like 50 people. Every Christian should read biographies. Very, you know what I liked about the, uh, Wiersbe, what he's done here though? is that he'll give you a short bio of each person, but he also will refer you to the books that they've written. And so it become, you can build a massive library from just reading this little book, right? And uh, it'll just expand, not only you get a bio of them, but you'll get some, some of the works that they wrote. So those are the three things the author does for exhortation, right? You go to God, go to the throne of grace, cheer each other on and read biographies. The author grounds his exhortations. I just wanna speak just a little bit more about this, but the author in this letter to the Hebrews, Hebrew Christians, he, he bases his exhortations on Old Testament scriptures. He makes a big deal out of Psalm 110 Verses 1 and 4. Verse 1, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Verse 4, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. He, really, he squeezed all the juice out of that verse. And he taught us that, that Jesus fulf- is the fulfillment of that prophecy. That Jesus is the pri- high priest who follows the the type and the shadow of that man, Melchizedek, who had no record of any genealogy, genealogy, any beginning, right? And so on and so on. The author grounds his exhortations in the Old Testament scripture. And when he exhorts these brothers and sisters, he does it with some stiff warnings So if you haven't noticed, this is kind of a brief review of the book of Hebrews. But there's four or five or six pretty stiff warnings in here to people who are quitting the faith, who are thinking about deconstructing their faith, who are just filled with doubts and wanting to give up. And he gives them a good, healthy kick in the pants, so to speak. This is a big boy letter. This is a a man up, woman up letter. This is a letter that says, don't lose your voice. You are solid ground, solidly grounded in the word of God, in Jesus Christ himself. Don't pull back, attack the hill. This is not a time for retreat. It's a time for advance. That's what he's saying. I really appreciate that. In fact, at some points, he, he's like, as a matter of fact, God might even use, be using some of these trials that you're going through as just a good old fashioned divine discipline because you've, you've allowed, you've gotten all these barnacles hanging, all this stuff, philosophies or different things that are, that you've accepted or you've, you've leaned too heavily into. Well, was like, get rid of that. Jesus Christ, lived, died, and rose again for a reason. He came from heaven to do this. Explain to me, would you please? A pregnant virgin? Like, huh? This This is Christianity. A dead man alive again? Why did he do that? To save us from our sin. Because God loves the world so much. This is, I love this letter. He's not coddled. They're not told to, they're they are told to attack, as I said. And the reason I wanted to say that is because this letter, this letter to the Hebrews, it's actually prophetic. It's actually prophetic. Because what goes around comes around. <laughs> That's not a Bible verse. <laughs> right? The reason I'm saying that is because It is prophesied, and therefore it's guaranteed, that in the last days, and we are in the last days before Jesus returns, that it will not be an easy time for Christianity. There will be a lot of severe opposition to the point of martyrdom, actually. And that's why this book of Hebrews is such a great letter to the church to don't retreat, to man up, to woman up, to hold on to what you know. And I think brothers and sisters that, that this, this whole culture of, um, I don't know, I'm not prepared to speak at length about that. I guess what I'm saying is I think it's time for us just to simply say what is true. Just simply say what is true. The gospel is the power of God to salvation. Jesus died to save sinners, and you're one of them. Repent and believe, and you'll go to heaven. And I know there's, there's a good place for a lot of great conversation and argument around what is true. We want to engage with people in a, in a, in a friendly debate, of course. But we need to know when to stop, too. And just make it clear. <laughs> and, let, and let the power of God work on the heart of that man or woman. So I'll verses 23, 24, Timothy, uh, set free, uh, probably from prison. Uh, The author is waiting for Timothy to come where he is. And then together they will travel to meet their friends. In the meantime, he says, greetings, right? Greetings to your leaders and to all the saints. And the author apparently is hanging around with some Italians. (laughs) He's like, uh, hey, Uh, pasta, whatever. Then he closes with grace be with you all. Amen. Grace be with you all. Amen. (laughs) All right. Uh, I just want to remind you guys that uh, friends are gracious, right? Uh, and this author, he says something very profound. He says something, that actually, Paul closes every one of his letters with those words, grace be with you. He might have some other words, but he always closes his letters with grace with you, right? And he always opens his letters with grace to you, right? So I just want to briefly remind you, I remember preaching about this back in Colossians a number of months ago, uh, remind you first of all that grace is a personal activity. Grace is a personal activity, it's God operating in love toward people. That's what grace is, it's not just a concept, it's God's operating in love, it's, his, it's, it's action, it's a verb. Okay, God operating in love toward people. And so, um, you know, Paul, as I said, he would always talk about uh, grace to you, right? Which which means that there's been a past experience of grace. Whenever Paul would open his letters, he, he would say grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, for example, right? So the fact that he's already mentioning grace means that they had a past experience with grace, which is simply that a guilty sinner comes and repents and, and receives forgiveness, right? God's Uh, kindness and favor toward sinners. We learned that uh, not only was there a past experience, but once that sinner has repented and become a Christian, then they are established in grace, right? And uh, we learned that from Romans where it says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. So there's a past experience and we're presently established in grace. And then we come to that final remark that's said here at verse 25, grace with you. So that's clearly a future expectation of God's grace coming to us. It's his God operating and continuing to operate in love toward us. It's the influence of Jesus' life upon our hearts and how it's reflected then in the way that we live. So friends are gracious. So just to wrap up uh, the four points that... um, Tried to bring out of the text. Uh, I haven't touched on the fourth one yet. We'll do that now as we get to communion. But uh, friends pray for each other because they're vulnerable and humble. Uh, friends encourage each other, right? We say the hard things. We speak the truth in love, right? And implore and urge each other to continue in the faith, and then we trust in the grace of God. That's what friends do. And the grace of God transforms each of us and heals us and empowers us and brings unity to our church. And then the last thing that the author uh, does in verses 20, 21, he says, I'll pray for you, right? That's what friends do. They pray for each other. Request prayer and they pray for the others. And so, and just in closing, uh, as we pray, prepare for communion, verses 20, 21, uh, now may the God of peace who... Brought up again from the dead, our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, uh, through the blood of the everlasting covenant. It's interesting that this is the only time the author ever actually mentions resurrection in this massive letter, right, about Jesus and his priesthood and such. Um, the first time is that he refers to him and the only time he refers to him as the shepherd, the great shepherd, the living shepherd, which indicates his constant watch and care over you and tending over our lives right doing what a shepherd does he's the great shepherd may the god of peace he says right so uh that is just such a a lovely thing is it not (laughs) the god of peace it tells us something about god's conflict uh, uh, character excuse me and that there is no conflict in the in the uh, trinity right they live in complete and beautiful love and harmony with each other always and ever this is God this is his character and uh, he is kind enough to give us his peace as Jesus famously said my peace I leave with you not as the world gives give I to you right John fourteen twenty seven. the God of peace It could be also, brothers and sisters, that the author is saying this because there's a little bit of tension in the room among some of the brethren. And he's saying, the God of peace, right? Endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. So humble ourselves, forgive one another, church. And let the peace of God rule in your heart. It talks about the great shepherd uh, through the blood of the everlasting covenant who was raised from the dead. You know, in case you're not aware, before I jump into verse 21, do you know the importance of the resurrection? The importance of the resurrection proves that what Jesus did when he made his offering for our sin was accepted by God. It proved it. He went in as our high priest, and uh, I always took great interest in the Day of Atonement in Leviticus, where the high priest on that one singular day was allowed into the presence of God with an offering for all the people. And the deal was that if the high priest didn't come back out, then the offering wasn't accepted. Now, I don't know if it's true, but some have uh, surmised that they would tie a rope to the ankle of the high priest, because if he didn't make a satisfactory offering, he dies in the presence of God, and the only way to get him out was to pull him out, <laughs> right? So you're like, pull this dead man out of the temple. I don't know. It's interesting to consider. It doesn't say that in the Bible. That's the importance that Jesus went in on our stead and offered his innocent life, God judged what we deserved on him. Now, if he doesn't come back out of the grave, it wasn't accepted, we're still in our sin. But he came back out. And that means we can be justified. We can be clean from everything and put into a right relationship with God. What an amazing prayer you guys like pray this for your friends? I don't, but I'm going to start. <laughs> what an amazing prayer. Oh, may the God of peace bless your life based on the finished work of Jesus, who's now alive and is still alive operating in them as a shepherd. Oh, great shepherd, by your grace and your spirit, just continually form them into your spiritual being that they are. Make them more and more like you. I know they're in trouble, but great shepherd, you know more than I do. Bless them. What an amazing thing. And then he says, but there's a purpose to this, verses 21, equip, he says, uh, to equip you with every good thing to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever, amen, (laughs) all right? So two things, equip and uh, working in you, all right? To make you or to equip you, it's interesting, it's the exact same word that is referred to when uh, Peter and his brother were mending their nets. Like they'd throw their net into the sea and for whatever reason, the nets would break. And so they had to sew them back together so that they would be fitted for use. That's exactly the same word. And so the author is praying for his friends that God would prepare them uh, and restore them back to doing the work that God has called them to do. It's a really hopeful word. It's it's acknowledging that something's broken, but Lord, would you just mend that in their life so that they would be back in your service? Working in you, he tells us the second part, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight. So working in you, that's power. That's the power of the Holy Spirit, the transforming work of the Holy Spirit. So because I preach and I try to make things memorable, so I see two things. There's preparation and there's power. There's preparing and there's power. And the preparing is through repairing, through restoring, through taking our weak knees and strengthening us and saying, get back in the race. I can do it. Yes, you can. No, actually, I know you can't. (laughs) But in me, you can. And so just do the next thing just do the next right thing. Just take the next step of faith. That's why we're going to the Middle East Tuesday. We just took a step of faith. And the Lord just started opening up one thing after another, after another, and after another. It's like, okay, we're going. You want us to go. It's very clear. I still don't know exactly what we'll do when we get there. I know who we're going to be with, and I know all some of those things. I I don't know a lot of the details. I'm not worried a bit, because I know he's prepared us, and I know he's given me the power. And he's my great shepherd. Plus, I got my friend with me, (laughs) Joni, who also is prepared and filled with the Spirit. And we're just excited to see what God will do. I'm going to show him the video. You're all going to be famous. <laughs> so that's the Word of God. All right? So, hey, let's take communion, huh? That sounds good. Elizabeth, would you just give us a little background music, and that'll fill the room with a little white noise. Not white noise, white beauty. and uh, <laughs> whoa, 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 that didn't go well. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Oz, delete, edit. <laughs> all right. <laughs> God, that was bad. (laughs) Pray for me. (laughs) Serious, I'm sorry. I'm very sorry, truthfully. I know y'all understand. So that's it, man, let's, um, you know, let's stand. And uh, yeah, just file through and come on up and get yourself a juice and a cracker. Then go back and it's just you and the Lord. You, Elizabeth, will provide some background keys and just you and the Lord. pray and confess and after everybody has something for themselves we'll we'll take together and then we'll sing how Shepherd. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Ray Shepherd, you've heard every prayer. You know every heart. You know every you know every heart, Lord. That's what's so amazing about you. We can be in a room with a group of people. We can sit in this world with billions of people. And yet you know me. You know each one of us. And there's is there's that intimacy and that privacy that is so precious and dear to us lord you wash the feet of every disciple one at a time each and every one experienced personally your grace that meant something particularly to them specifically to them lord i thank you that we can bring all of our stuff, our our sin, our unforgiveness to you, and that you are faithful high priest. That what you have accomplished for us, Lord, we don't gotta work it up. <laughs> we just come humbly and receive a fresh cleansing, a fresh forgiveness. So Lord, I praise you. I thank you for the chance to be here together and knowing how good and glorious and gracious and powerful you are. So we remember your words, Lord. You took bread, you gave thanks, you broke it, and you gave it to the disciples. And you said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake of the cracker. (laughs) Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. Let's partake.